One of the uh, British theologians uh, I refer to now and, the, now and then, N.T. Wright, uh, makes a very provocative claim about our story for this morning. He says, he writes, this scene between Jesus and Peter is one of the most spectacular interchanges in the whole Bible. Now, that is a bold enough claim on its own, but he goes even further. This scene, he writes, between Jesus and Peter is one of the most spectacular interchanges in the whole Bible, perhaps in all of literature. As an English major, I am very taken aback in all literature, even in just for the Bible, this all seems a, a little bit hyperbolic for me. And it probably comes across as even more extreme when we read it like we just have done. In a time of worship, when there are all sorts of other things going on, uh, reading it isolated from all of the rest of the gospel uh, and out of context. So for us to get any sense of the, the real beauty and power that is in this, of this interaction, we have to remember at least a few particular events that happened before this part of the story. And let, rem let me remind you of one scene, particularly from the night that uh, Jesus was arrested. This is from chapter 13. Verses 33 through 38. Jesus says, they're all gathered at the Last Supper. My children, I will be with you only a little longer. You will look for me, and just as I told the others, so I tell you now, where I am going, you cannot come. A new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. Simon Peter asked him, Lord, where are you going? Jesus replied, where I'm going, you cannot follow now, but you will follow later. Peter asked, Lord, why can't I follow you? Now, I will lay down my life for you. Then Jesus answered, will you really lay down your life for me? I tell you the truth, Peter, before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. And Jesus was right. <laughs> Before the sun dawned the next morning, Peter had disowned Jesus three times. While Jesus was being questioned and beaten by the authorities, Peter stood among a crowd of people that were watching all of this happen. And at three different times, Three different people questioned or accused Peter of being a disciple of Jesus. And all three times, Peter said, I don't know the man. Completely disowned him. All that happened, and then in the next 24 to 72 hours, Jesus was crucified, died, was put in a tomb, and rose from the dead. 
And then Peter was among the disciples when Jesus appeared before them resurrected. However, as far as we know, Peter had not yet had a one-on-one conversation with Jesus about his betrayal, about his denying Jesus three times, until this moment portrayed in our story this morning. Even remembering all of the background for this moment, we still may not believe that this is the most spectacular interchange in all of literature, maybe not even all of the Bible. However, it is full of beauty and has the potential for being a powerful story in our own lives. For if nothing else, this story reveals to us that no matter what has happened in life, Jesus offers a way forward. Again, let's assume that this is the first time that Jesus has spoken directly to Peter since Jesus predicted Peter would deny him three times. With that the case, notice then how Jesus addresses Peter at the beginning of verse 15. When they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John. Simon, son of John. That is the name that Jesus used the very first time he saw Peter and invited Peter to be a disciple. It was much later that Jesus gave Simon, the son of John, the nickname Petros, which is the Greek, uh, in in English it translates the rock. Uh, Here in this first post-resurrection one-on-one interaction with Peter, Jesus doesn't use the nickname rock. Instead, Jesus uses what is essentially his full name, his full name, Simon, son of John. It's a little bit like when a parent in our culture uses their child's full name, Douglas James Early. That is never a signal for good news. Dale Bruner asks some good questions about this address, Simon, son of John. He writes, do All cultures have the habit when speaking in semi-rebuke of giving their addressees a full name? Are we to hear then a semi-rebuke in Jesus's opening words to Peter? Well, I would bet that Peter is a bit worried. Then Jesus asks him a question that gets immediately to the heart of their relationship. Simon, son of John, Do you truly love me more than these? Now, in one way, this is just a straight-up question about Peter's commitment to Jesus. Do you love me? In another way, it's a question of whether Peter has learned any lessons. That little add-on from Jesus, more than these. Peter, or Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these, that can be interpreted in two different ways. Jesus might be referring to all of the things around them, especially the fishing boats and the net, uh, as if Jesus is essentially asking Peter, do you love me more than this previous way of life of yours? 
Or Jesus might be referring to the other disciples, saying to Peter, or Simon at this point, do you love me more than they do? For me, again, the events of the Last Supper color this question and lead me to believe that Jesus is asking Peter, do you love me more than these other disciples? At the Lord's Supper, in that section that I read earlier, when Jesus said that the disciples couldn't follow him, Peter's question was, why can't I follow you? I'm willing to even lay down my life for you. Notice in that there's a bit of an assertion by Peter that his devotion, at least, was greater than the others, so he could understand why the others couldn't follow Jesus. But what about me, Peter is saying. So Peter's answer in our morning story reveals that his character has changed. His response is, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he leaves it at that. Peter doesn't comment whatever Jesus meant by more than these. Peter doesn't comment on that. Dale Bruner picks up on this nuance. He writes, Peter loves Jesus, but Peter also knows that he himself does not know how much the other disciples love Jesus. And so he will no longer compare himself with others. That seems like a pretty good answer. It seems like Peter maybe has learned a good few things, commits his devotion to, to Jesus. But then Jesus goes on and asks the same fundamental question two more times. Beginning of 16, again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, and again, uses the full name still. Do you truly love me? The third time, beginning of verse 17, he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? In verse 17, after that third time that Jesus questions Peter, we hear this from John. Peter was hurt. Because Jesus asked him him the third time, do you love me? Why is Peter hurt? The answer to that likely depends on the reason that we attribute to Jesus for asking the same question three times. If we think that Jesus was trying to teach Peter a lesson in humility... It seems that Peter is probably a little defensive and a little exasperated by the third time. But if we believe that Jesus has a more loving purpose than humiliation, Peter's hurt may be something different. Personally, I fall in with those who believe that Jesus wants to heal Peter and restore the relationship I believe Jesus asks Peter to declare his love three times because Peter disowned him three times. Again, Dale Bruner ponders a possible reason for Jesus and in the multiple questions. Perhaps Jesus wanted Peter's last memory of this 
last main meeting with Jesus to be Peter's threefold, I do love you, Lord, rather than his shameful threefold, I don't know the man. Then Jesus meant his repeated questions pastorally. Jesus wanted to bring healing and restoration of their relationship. And if that's true, another writer, Raymond Brown, cites an alternative reason for Peter's hurt. It's notable that after Peter's hurt, Jesus doesn't ask again. Although the hurt is based on having been asked three times, some interpreters would trace Peter's sorrow to the fact that by his denials, he had given Jesus cause to doubt him in the first place. But now, Jesus has given Peter the opportunity to reverse all of that. And I believe that this is a profoundly beautiful act of forgiveness on the part of Jesus with Peter. That it's also a profoundly beautiful act of reconciliation on the part of Jesus with Peter. I think as well that the three commands that Jesus follows up with after each time Peter answers further reveal his forgiveness and reconciliation with Peter. After Peter declares his love for Jesus, Jesus tells Peter how to move forward. Verse 15c, feed my lambs. 16, take care of my sheep. 17, feed my sheep. There are slightly di slight differences in each of these commands, one of which I was talking about with the kids, but they share, the, they share key similarities. First of all is that Jesus is quite clear about whose lambs and sheep these are. Feed my sheep, feed my lambs, take care of my sheep. They are his. Earlier in this gospel, John wrote down a teaching from Jesus in which Jesus claimed for himself the role of the good shepherd for all of his followers. They are his. And yet, here in our story, Jesus is enlisting Peter is enlisting Peter to participate in caring for Jesus's disciples. This is one of the main reasons why N.T. Wright is so taken by this story, finds it so meaningful. He writes about this, the most remarkable thing about this story is that by way of forgiveness, Jesus gives Peter a job to do. Jesus is sharing his own work, his own ministry with Peter. With Peter of all people. At the beginning of this story, again remember, Peter was living with the memory of having abandoned Jesus when Jesus was most vulnerable. Peter must have been significantly uncertain about where he stood with Jesus. I would think that Peter must have had at least some despair about his own personal future with Jesus. But by the end of this scene, 
Jesus has clearly forgiven Peter and given Peter a future in the work of Christ. And we know from scriptures, other scriptures, and the early church and historians that Peter followed Jesus' direction, these commands, well. Our New Testament passage is just one of the examples of this. Peter himself writes to another congregation, to the elders among you, I appeal as a fellow elder, again, sort of not putting himself above at all, a witness of Christ's suffering and one who also will share in the glory to be revealed. Be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care, serving as overseers, not because you must, but because you are willing as God wants you to be, not greedy for money, but eager to serve, not lording it over those entrusted to you, but being examples. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that will never fade. These are the words of a person who clearly loves Christ and is caring for those that have been entrusted, excuse me, entrusted to him. The great news is that Peter represents all of us. For various reasons, we all find ourselves at times uncertain about the way forward. Maybe we've made our own mistakes personally. Maybe we've hurt someone close to us. Maybe we've betrayed others. Maybe we've betrayed our own values. Maybe we've made poor decisions that have jeopardized our future, financially, relationally. We're uncertain about both where we stand and a way forward, a way out of it or through it. Sometimes we find ourselves uncertain about our way forward as a whole group. I feel that we are in this precise situation right now in several ways, as a congregation, as Christians in general, as people in the United States, as human beings on this globe, that we are uncertain about the way forward. And I feel this because of COVID and the the ongoing possibilities with that, the push towards white nationalism, the heating of the globe. Our way forward is so uncertain in so many ways. I have heard myself and I have heard so many of those around me questioning, what do we do? I honestly believe that this morning's story presents us with at least a starting point. Love Christ and care for those who are near us, whomever they may be. These aren't the only things to do. They aren't the only possible answers. But for followers of Christ, it all starts here. Again, I'll quote Tom Wright, who is so taken with this story. This is the way he puts it. Here is the secret of all Christian ministry, yours and mine, 
lay and ordained, full-time, part-time. It's the secret of everything from being a quiet, back-row member of a congregation to being a platform speaker at huge rallies and conferences. If you are going to do any single solitary thing as a follower and servant of Jesus, this is what it's built on. Somewhere deep down inside, there is a love for Jesus. And though goodness knows you've let him down enough times, he wants to find that love, to give you a chance to express it, to heal the hurts and the failures of the past, and to give you new works to do. What was true for Peter in this interaction with Jesus is true for all of us, always. No matter what has happened in life, Christ offers us a way forward. Love him first and foremost and show that care, that love for him by caring for those whom Jesus has placed in our lives. We can't do everything. We can't do everything for everyone. But we can do this. Thanks be to God.